0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, I'm really passionate about this subject today and very, very excited about this episode. You know, I think that a lot of us often overlook the fact that. Our perception is our reality, right? Our perception is our reality. We can be in a stadium full of 20,000 other people watching the same game take place, and you're going to have 20,000 totally different perceptions or perspectives about the same exact thing, and our perception is really built on our life experience. Our perception is really colored by the things that we've been through in our own lives and the way that we see the world, our beliefs about the world, right? And so the thing that we often overlook, however, is the fact that we can create our beliefs. We can choose to think the thoughts that we want to think, but we often just have our beliefs and our thoughts impressed upon us by the world around us because we're not aware that we get to choose this. And so many of us feel very disempowered in our lives because things might take place, right? Things might quote, happened to us. And we believe that we are a victim of these circumstances. And again, not realizing that we get to choose what they mean to us. And just to share a really uh, visceral story for me is my grandmother. And I've talked about her on the show before. She gave me a very powerful imprint when I was a child. I lived with my grandmother uh, through kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And these are my earliest memories, pretty much my earliest memories. I have a couple things before that, but this was the imprint of unconditional love, of routine, of certainty, right? I went to bed knowing what I was going to wake up to in the morning, which means a lot for certain uh, individuals, for some kids where things can be very volatile, which is what I lived in after this, where I don't really even know what I'm waking up to. And she instilled in me, the dedication to education and learning and reading and laughter and fun and joy. And her mandate in my life was to create magic for me. And I was her first grandson. So I really feel like she just loved being a grandmother. And I'm so grateful for that experience. Now cut to my grandfather had multiple open heart surgeries. He I uh, had multiple heart attacks and he wasn't doing well. They moved to where he grew up. He's a country boy in the quote in the in the country, gravel road, that whole thing. And he got to hunt, he got to fish, he got to live out the rest of his days, but it was still a big struggle. And eventually he passed away. And my grandmother was obviously devastated, you know. She and he and he were an entity. They were an actual entity. It was Mima and pop. And shout out to people who don't call their grandmother grandma or, you know, uh, grandmother, you know, me, Mimi P, pee, pee, poo, poo, me, whatever you call your grandmother, shout out to you. Um, but they were an entity. They were an entity and they loved each other so much. And she really struggled to live without him. And I've shared this before. So I have a little bit um, a less difficult time talking about it, but I am feeling some emotions talking about it, but she, she stayed around she was there at my wedding and she cried so much that day and i just remember my wife and just like why is she crying so much and she told her these words that stuck with my wife that she even said you know we've been married for 12 years she even said the words last week but she said that i really pray that you and my grandson have the kind of love that me and pop had And shortly after that, um, you know, she was she was heartbroken and she took her own life. And I was heartbroken as well, as you can imagine. You know, that was my imprint. She made my life magical and she loved me so much. And, you know, I've got, she's got so many other grandkids. I think she's got like 11 and, um, you know, her children and... I was at a different place in my life, however. You know, I'd done a lot of work to break out of the conditions that I was in, you know, being around a lot of struggle and violence and a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of hardships. You know, I had two kids already at a really young age and I struggled just to make it through school, not because of the education. You know, I did excellent on that side. It's because of my attitude and my finding myself in trouble and fighting so frequently. And because of that and the work that I was doing for myself and realizing, this is the most important thing, I realized that I get to choose the meaning. It's not the thing that happens, it's the meaning that we create from what happens. And when she left, other people in my family took on the meaning that she left them. Why would she do this to us? And for me, I took on the meaning of she loved him so much. She couldn't live without him. And I want to love like that. (sighs) So funny. I mean, even, (laughs) even on the drive over here, I just thought about this and I... Just felt tears coming because I'm so grateful for her. I'm overwhelmed with happiness right now. I'm just so happy, and that's why you know I'm feeling these tears. It's not because of sadness, it's I'm so grateful what she gave me and the time that I had with her. you know, I got to choose my story and choose my perception of the experience, and we all get to do that and so let me get rid of this cry voice. <laughs> And just share with you today, I have a guest on that she is probably the top person in the world in helping people to actually transform their perception, because that's really what's controlling everything about you in your life, whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, your relationships, it's all based on the way that you think. Your life right now is a result of how you think. And so I'm really, really excited about this episode. And... I think it's really going to blow your mind. So be prepared to take some great notes. All right. Now, with that said, uh, I just got back from a really cool trip. I went and spent a couple of days at my friend Sean T's house. You probably know Sean T. Everybody knows Sean T's household name, the creator of Insanity, T Twenty Five, Hip Hop Abs, legendary icon in fitness, probably the icon in fitness. And so I was hanging out at his place for a couple of days, and we were just, you know, we're hanging out. We had a conversation and my wife was there with me as well. Ann was there and we were just hanging out. And somehow we got to talking about sleep and rest and recovery, which is a topic when people have small kids. He has twins, Uh, him and Scott, they have twins and they they call it twin sanity, right? Two-year-old kids. And they sleep wonderfully, you know, but there was a time obviously, you know, for a lot of people when it was a struggle. And so Sean is a huge fan of naps, all right? He's like, that's his thing, right? Um, He's like, anything with nap in it, napkins, all right? Napster, right? If there's nap in it, he's about that, all right? And so I did an episode of the Model Health Show dedicated to the science of naps, all right? The science of napping and also sleep tips for parents as well. So we'll put those for you in the show notes. But when we were talking about you know, sleep and the rituals and routines, I realized like, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. I know he's about that that good sleep. And I was like, do you sleep on attitude sheets though? And he was like, well, what's that, Sean? And I was like, Sean, see how how that's happening? Sean was like, what's that, Sean? But I was like, Sean, listen, you have not truly had an incredible sleep until you sleep on attitude sheets. This is organic bamboo lyocell, softest material ever to be made into sheets, number one. Number two, they're hypoallergenic. Number three, they're antimicrobial. Number four, they're moisture wicking. So that means, you know, we sweat when we sleep, right? That's kind of gross. And if you get too hot, that can cause disruptions with your sleep. Number five, they're also actually thermoregulating sheets. Guys, come on now. We know now through the the advent and the popularity of Sleep Smarter and all the sleep signs, that controlling our body temperature is one of the things that regulates our sleep cycles, right? When we're sleeping, there's a natural drop in our core body temperature. This is how we evolved. We were designed this way with all of life. When it gets dark outside, the temperature, even if it's hot where you live, the temperature still goes down a little bit in the nighttime. And the human body wants to do that as well to elicit sleep-related hormones, neurotransmitters, enzymes that help to facilitate sleep. So we don't wanna be running too hot. Those things are cool, but these sheets are so soft. So amazing. So listen. It's it's right now. It's that time of year. It's gift-giving season. Give yourself this gift because guess what I did? As soon as I got home, I ordered Sean some Attitude sheets and had them sent to his house with a little card. And guess what? Whole month made, right? Being able to give a gift like that. Don't give me a tie. I don't want a tie. I don't want socks. I don't want. What did my brother get me last year? He got me a, a thermos. Don't give me a thermos. Attitude sheets is the gift. All right, and shout out to all the gifts though that I, I I like socks and thermoses, but attitude sheets is a game changer. That's something that you give a gift to somebody who has you know a lot or maybe you consider they have everything. They don't have these sheets. All right, and you need these yourself. Give yourself this gift. Right now, I've got a very special offer. Head over to etitude.com forward slash model. That's E T T I T U D E dot com forward slash model. Got a special discount for you. And we're also going to get you an exclusive 30 day sleep trial. And so you can sleep on it, dream on it. And if you don't absolutely love these sheets, you can send them back for a full refund. But I guarantee you, you're not going to want to give these up. All right. So head over there, check them out. It's etitude.com forward slash model and get the hookup. All right, that's dot com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week.
1: Another five-star review titled Smart and Gentle by Belle Belisa. I only listen to the Model Health Show. Can't get into any other podcast. I love your knowledge, your voice, and your gentleness with guests.
0: I love that so much. Listen, I don't mind if the Model Health Show is all you listen to, and I'm going to keep it coming for you as well. Uh, thank you so much for making me a part of your life and rolling with me. It means everything. And uh, listen, everybody, if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. It means so much to me. And um, also on this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, guys, we're blowing up on YouTube. All right. Leave a comment below this episode and please let me know what you thought about this episode. I appreciate it so much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. There are a few speakers and therapists today who have the wide experience and stellar reputation of Marissa Peer. Named Britain's best therapist, Marissa has spent over three decades treating a client list that includes international superstars, CEOs, royalty, Olympic athletes, and the list goes on and on. A best-selling author of five books, Marissa's USP is that she teaches, quote, simple steps that produce dramatic and life-changing results, end quote. Marissa's also been featured in major media, television shows, uh, just about any magazine that you could name related to health and wellness. And she's also just had a really huge impact on so many of the people that I know personally. And I'm very, very grateful to have her on the show today for you. So now we're going to jump into this conversation with the incredible Marissa Peer. So speaking of art... And speaking of culture, you were just mentioning that you spoke for Vogue. Yeah. And I'm curious about this because your big movement is I Am Enough and that lack of belief is for me, Mm. and I I know you would agree with this, this is your your movement. Sure, It's at the core of so many psychological issues. And Mm. so speaking to a magazine, that traditionally would probably make women feel like they're not enough. How did you, how did that all work out in the first place?
1: Well, the strangest thing is I asked you to come in and give them a talk about why their, why their sales were plummeting. I mean, all magazines across the world have that because people don't buy magazines or papers anymore. They go online. Right. And so I told them the truth, you make women feel they're not enough, but you could do so much to make them feel they are enough. And I introduced them to the I'm enough movement and they did take it on board and they did put posters and, and uh, artwork around saying, I am enough. Because if you can get your workforce to believe they're enough rather than not enough. And of course on a magazine, especially a fashion magazine, we're in a competitive, they don't get along. Everyone's like, oh, you're better than me, you're taller, thinner, you've got a better label than me. And they found that just getting all the staff into the I'm Enough movement changed that bitchy, mean girl's competitiveness and made them much more supportive of each other. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to introduce it to their readership. I mean, obviously, a magazine is going to sell fashion, that's their sponsors, but... You can do both. You can sell fashion and enoughness and it changes everything because we all know that anorexia and bulimia practically didn't exist until the media came in. In fact, there are studies in both Turkey and Fiji that prove that there was very minimal anorexia, bulimia and eating disorders until cable television came in. And within three years, both those countries had an epidemic of eating disorders. Because girls start to look at friends and go, oh, I should look like that. I should be really thin with big hair. I should have thin thighs and, and big hair, but I got big thighs and thin hair, so I'm not enough. And when you, the media has done a huge amount to damage our next generation, because it's what I call overexposure to fake perfection. Everyone on Instagram is perfect. Everyone on Facebook picks their perfect pictures and young kids coming up think, I should look like that. I don't look like that. Mm. I'm not enough. And then they have all these role models like Kim Kardashian and they don't understand that's not real. No one leaves their house looking shiny and glossy unless they've got a team of staff behind them. And I see that with young mothers too. They have a baby and of course they're tired and stressed, but they look at all these women Just had a baby, skinny, shiny hair, perfect teeth, perfect baby, and think, oh, I'm not enough. And and the media has really damaged people. And, And not just women, guys too. I work with so many depressed teenage boys, so many suicidal kids, and when you peel away the layers of what this is all about, it's always, I'm not enough. I'm not clever enough attractive enough, smart enough, successful enough. And it's behind every addiction too. I've worked with thousands of addicts. I've never met one in my entire life who said, I'm enough. And when you don't feel enough, guess what you need? More. I need more drugs, more meds, more praise, more stuff because I don't feel enough. And, And what conventional medicine is doing is try to treat the symptom... Instead of treating the root of this not enoughness.
0: You know, I'm, I'm aware that a lot of psychiatrists, psychologists, they realize and are taught some of these kind of core yeah. um gaps in our personality and the way that we think, but they're not exactly, and you know, this the field isn't that successful with yeah. actually treating it, especially treating it in the short amount of time that mm. you're able to do it. So yeah. what's... What is, what's different about your approach and why are you so successful? So many people that I know love you so I much. Know. You've had such a huge impact on their life and like talking to you in one conversation.
1: Well, my passion was, why don't I simplify therapy? I mean, there's no other um, there's no other thing where you go, hey, I got a headache. Shall I go and talk about it for a year? I, I got a pain in my tooth. Shall I ring at my dentist go, hey, can I come in and discuss this? I go, no, you got an infection in there. I got to get the infection out. Therapy is a very strange model. It invites you to turn up and discuss your pain for a long time without any guarantee that you'll get better. No other doctor would go, hey, here's the model. Come and talk about your pain. You might not get better. You might. Who knows? I'm going to ask you every week, how do you feel? Well, I feel I'm in pain. (laughs) When are you going to take the pain away? And so I found that model frustrating. All therapists have a good heart and want to help, but it's a broken model. Where else would you go? I invite you to bring your pain to me. Pay me every week to talk about it. I might not even be able to help you. And with my clients, people in pain want to get better, whether that's physical pain, I've got headaches, or eczema, or emotional pain, I feel inadequate. I lack self-esteem. I'm, I'm self-destructive. I, I sabotage myself. They all want to get better yeah. fast. So I created my own therapy called RTT, And the whole point was, let's treat the root, not the symptom. All my graduates are taught to look for what lies beneath. So when people come in and go, you know, I'm a compulsive shopper, compulsive shoplifter, I've got this compulsive scratching or itching, I've got terrible headaches, or I've got irritable bowel, or I'm addicted to sugar. We don't treat that, we treat what lies beneath. And in RTT, it's what I call the five eyes. First of all, you become like a detective. You investigate, where did this begin? People go, oh, I've never been able to be, I'm not good with confrontation. I don't like being the center of attention. When no baby is born going, hey, don't look at me. I haven't got any hair. I haven't got any teeth. I've got these really fat legs. You know having children, they love attention. Yeah. The first thing you're born with is attention. No baby says, I, I can't leave food. When they've had enough, they just stop. So I understood that all of our issues are acquired. And that's actually great news because if you acquire an issue, you can become free of it. So we investigate, where did this come from? And then we find the imprint that has caused the behavior. And then we interpret it, interrupt it, get rid of it. I'll give you a great example. I work with a lot of anorexics and bulimics because conventional medicine cannot help those poor kids. It weighs them and tries to get them to It was a mental illness. And I worked with someone who said, you know, so we went back, when did this begin? And this girl remembered being in the car with her dad who'd look at women and go, look at her, look at her dressed like that in those tight clothes. She's just a tramp. Mm. And she began to think, I never want anyone to say that about me. And her dad would say about her mum, your mom is a slut, she wears all these tight clothes, and she formed a thought, which is an imprint. Mm-hmm. I couldn't bear it if my husband spoke about me like that. Now, when you say something to the mind, it, it's an absolute command, do anything and everything to make sure that doesn't happen. And then I worked with an anorexic who said almost the same thing. My dad used to look at porn. And I found him one day by mistake looking at porn and I was this princess and I thought a thought, I never want anyone to look at me like that. now the mind's like, okay, my job is to make sure no one ever looks at you like that. So the anorexic didn't develop. The the bulimic got very heavy. They both had the same thought. I don't want to be looked at like that. Mm. And they both changed their shape. And I worked with many obese women and men, and they almost always go back to being abused. I don't want my mom's husband to look at me like that. I don't want my granddad to look at me in that weird way. I can't handle it. And the mind goes, you leave that with me. I can find a way of making sure no one looks at you with that lusty look. And and that's what happens. The mind um, acts on our thoughts. Every thought you think And every word you say is a blueprint that your mind must work towards. The most common example is someone who says, you know, I was in a relationship and that person broke my heart. They ripped it out and stabbed it. I could never go through that pain again. It would kill me to be rejected like that again. If I met another woman that took all my money, another guy that cheated on me, I would die. And your mind goes, you would die? You can't die. My job is to keep you alive. And if mm-hmm. a relationship will make you die, leave that with me. I'll make sure you never have one again. I mm. can give you gas. I can give you compulsive. I can make you a complete bitch. I can do anything. I can make you have um, become a recluse, but I can make sure... that doesn't happen. And you see, we say these crazy things. My job is killing me. This commute makes me want to die. If I have one more customer like that, I'm going to jump under a train. And the mind goes, this place called work is killing you? Mm. Oh, no. My job is to keep you alive. So why don't I give you a lovely ulcer so you can't go to this place called work? And then it can't kill you. Mm. Wow.
0: So this is leading me to an important question I want to talk to you about, which is... I heard you say something along the lines of our thoughts create our reality, mm. right? And so when I hear statements, even today, this is before you know us meeting each other, but when I would hear somebody say, I'm starving, it would literally mm-hmm. pop up in my mind, like, you're not really starving, not. you know, but these words that we use really mm. do create our existence.
1: Yeah. Do you know that's so true? Because the strongest force in every human being in the world is that you must act in a way that is utterly consistent with how you define yourself. The words you speak, the thoughts you think, your mind has no choice but to make that real. Some people will say, I'm starving. I'm dying of hunger. I could eat a horse. Your mind really believes that's true. Yeah. When you say, this is killing me, this is driving me insane, this kid is making me want to die. Your mind goes, you're now having another one. If one makes you want to die, why don't I just give you unexplained infertility, secondary infertility? Because we think our mind's job is to make us happy. It really isn't. It's just to keep you alive on a planet when... Not long ago, the odds weren't that great. So everything we do is to keep us alive. You know, one of the reasons we can't bear to be hungry is that that is the number one thing that killed us 500 years ago, not disease, hunger. And our mind to this day is scared of hunger and our logical mind goes, you know, I've got fish and chicken in the fridge at home and salad, but the illogical mind goes, I'm going to die of hunger. I'm just going to eat all these jelly beans now and taco chips. And if you only knew that you could dialogue back with your mind, you could have everything you want in the world because people know, oh, I just heard Barack Obama say mindset. You need mindset. 80% of success is mindset. They don't even know what mindset is. <laughs> right, right. I said, well, what's mindset? They go, I, I don't know. It's something. Yeah. Is it focus? No. It's how you dialogue with you. Yeah. And since your mind believes everything you tell it, you might as well tell it amazing stuff.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's so true. That's the other part I want to get to is, mm. is programming more empowering things. Sure. But for me, it's just like just going back on the statement of I'm starving. We're going to naturally have a tendency towards overheating. Of course. Most likely. You know, yeah. so it's just, I think awareness is important, obviously, mm. you know, being aware of the language that we're using yeah. with ourselves. But I got to ask you this. and. Maybe this is a really big question, but how is it that some of us can become aware of our um, deficiencies? We can become aware of our stories, Mm. the roots, but yet we're not able to change it.
1: I guess because no one teaches this stuff. No one teaches you, you know, that you have a choice. You see, here's one of the rules of the mind. I have like 23 rules of the mind, but here's the best one. Your mind does not care if what you tell it is right or wrong true or false, useful or useless, helpful or not helpful, beneficial or not beneficial, it doesn't care. It lets it in. You make your beliefs, but then your beliefs make you. And then even more oddly, the, the world starts to actually match what you believe. If you believe everyone's out to get you or ant, dogs are vicious creatures that attack you, you can make that belief real. And if you believe, people are actually honestly really very nice and kind, and dogs are lovely creatures, they're man's best friend, that too will become real. So a lot of people know this stuff, but they actually don't know how to change it. So I had an American PA for one, I loved her, and she used this expression all the time, when I got the job with you, I wanted to die. When I knew I was coming (laughs) to London, I wanted to die. And this cute English guy asked me, I wanted to die. I'm like, darling, you don't want to die. You want to live. Stop saying, I want to die. Because some people, you know, nobody teaches us this stuff. If you go, oh my God, I've got a memory like a sieve. I forget everything. You make that real. And it's very important when working with children to really be aware of not saying So, you know, I I see many people with wealth blocks. They come in and go, I I can't make money. I can't keep money. I can't attract money. And your relationship with money is actually fixed almost before you are five years old. And if you see your father going, this job is killing me. This is the price you pay for working for yourself. So one of my clients said, my dad used to lie on the sofa every Sunday with a headache. And go, that's what happens when you have your own business. It kills you. Or another one said, my dad took antacids every morning and said, I've got an ulcer because this job is killing me. And a small child thinks, I, I don't want that job that's killing me. I'd rather not have a job. And then they've got this wiring, this coding that now says a job will kill you. And even though they want a job, they don't understand this old wiring. So it's very much the same thing when you have a parent that says, you know, if you're a good kid, you'll eat everything on your plate. Do you know how much money I spent on that? Think of those starving children and they're wired to eat everything until they don't understand how to leave food or even more simple, the parents going, come on, school bus is coming, hurry up. You're making everyone late and children naturally eat very slowly They engage with the food. You know, when you're feeding your baby, you got the next spoon, they're not gonna take it till they've done with the first one. But when you make them eat fast and make them eat fast, you wire into them this eating mindlessly without even thinking what's in front of me. Do I want it? Do I like it? I don't know. I just hoover it all up.
0: Mm, this reminds me of, I mean, I grew up, I literally heard these statements every day mm. of my life. You know, I want to go to the store and just get some penny candy. Mm. And my mom, You know, I asked my mom for money and she says, you know, I'm broke as a joke yeah. was her big thing. Sure. That was the, the classic. Yeah. Um, but do I look like I'm made of money? All these different statements. And whenever we would have food, because there were times when, you know, we had to get food from WIC programs, food stamps, or food pantries. Mm. And whenever we'd get a a plate of food, she'd say, eat it all. Yeah, of course. Eat it all. And even, and it's like raises that question of like, if we're poor, how is everybody obese? I know. Right? So that programming, and of course, once I, got out of the environment, Mm. and I decide I'm going to make my life different, even though I was semi-aware that this was a problem, I still repeated those behavior problems, right? Yeah. I would come into some money, I would find creative ways to get rid of it. Of course. Right? So I'm assuming this happens for a lot of people.
1: 70% of lottery winners are dead broke in three years. You know, I worked with somebody recently who was working as a trash, we call them dustbin men, I guess you call them trash collectors. Yeah. Anyway... He went from earning $300 a week. He, he on the lottery, got $20 million and within three years was dead broke. When I worked with him, he said, but I actually preferred it. I didn't know who I was with all that money. I didn't know who my friends were. You know, if I paid, they say I was showing off. If I didn't pay, they're like, $20 million. Mm-hmm. Do you still expect us to chip in? Okay. And he said, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it, but I've also worked with a lot of rock stars who make so much money and you know always broke. And when you them that their relationship with money, they'll go, well, you know, my dad got a paycheck on a Friday. It was run out by Thursday night. Mm, And so their pattern is you get money and you spend it. And when they win the lottery, they come into that pattern. They just buy stuff they don't need until it's all gone. The 30% who don't go broke when they win the lottery are the ones who already had money, already had a relationship with money and understood. You know, Donald Trump went broke. How fast did he come back? so if you have a template for love or money you'll keep it but one of the things about the mind that even psychiatrists aren't trained in which I found in my clients is that we are hardwired to run back to what is familiar while avoiding what is unfamiliar and that is a tribal behavior if I live in a tribe and I decide I'm bored and we used to live in walled cities and they lock the, lock the gate at night to keep you safe. Nobody said, oh, this is boring. I, I, wasn't, I think I'll just climb over the gate and go and find another tribe because that was dangerous. Mm. We are hardwired to return to what is familiar and to run away from what's unfamiliar, even if it's bad for us. So people who don't have money actually reject money. People who don't have love how do they reject love. Like they go, I, I don't really want that. I now feel dependent and vulnerable. I'd rather be on my own. And it sounds very hard to understand, but you, you see this in a two-year-old. Your two-year-old child all of a sudden goes, I, I don't want that yogurt. It's got lumps in it. I, I don't want that bowl. I only want the pink bowl and the blue spoon. I want the same story every night I want the same movie every night because familiar makes them safe exactly that age when they could wander out on the prairie and pick their own dangerous berries. They only want what they already know as familiar. Mm. And it's the most vexing thing for therapists to say, look, why don't you date a nice guy? Oh, they're too good for me. What they're saying is their behavior is so unfamiliar. I need to run back what I want. And one of the fastest ways to get what you want in life is to look at your behavior and go, okay, what am I making familiar? I mean, I work with so many clients, movie directors, rock stars, film stars. When I go, I love your movie, they go, it was terrible. Didn't you notice? No, I thought it was amazing. You won an Oscar. I know, but the nominations that year were really bad. But you won another one. I know, but they were really bad that year. And then I go, you know what? You know what's wrong with you? You can't accept praise. Tell me about your life. Well, my dad always said, well, there's nothing to you. You're never going to make it. People like us don't make it. When I made it, he was resentful, but that's not work. Recently, a client said to me, my dad said, you haven't suffered enough to be successful. You don't deserve all this success. You just ponce around making movies. But I, I drive a cab, you know, I am successful. What you do doesn't count. If you saw Rocket Man, there's a very sad scene where Elton goes to visit his dad, and he says, "Sign this album," and he says, "Oh, not for me. I don't even like your music." That's someone at work. So rejecting, withholding parents give their child a familiar. What is familiar is criticism. What is unfamiliar is praise. And what's so tragic is that people who never get praise when you give them you go, hey. I love your hat. They go, oh, it's not mine. I I just found it in a lift. It's, oh, I love your talk. Oh, I forgot the best bit. So not only do they reject what is unfamiliar, they add what is familiar, criticism. And people think depression is because of a chemical imbalance in your brain. It really isn't. The number one thing that causes depression are harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to yourself on a daily basis and, blocking praise while adding in criticism will make anybody depressed yeah
0: that's a formula for unhappiness yeah. for sure that's so powerful and i've got so many different uh, ideas and, and stories that have come up for me personally mm. and that i've just seen with all the people that i've worked with but i just want to pivot back to when you said that we we are hardwired to do this and how kids mm. are kind of uh, adverse, they have an adverse response to new things with food, mm, for example. Of course. And we just like, well, why won't the kid just eat? Yeah. And I was just with my friend, um, Sean T., and he's got twins, and they're, mm. they just turned two. He knows they'll eat sweet potato and mm. chicken, right? And a lot of times you just want to deal with the fuss, mm. you know? And we did that same thing with my son, and we're, you know, kind of considered nutrition experts. Mm. And so- it, it's more of like there's a patience factor because yeah. his little brain is just saying like I don't know about this exactly. I don't know what the response is gonna be yeah because some stuff through my evolution could have made me mm. very sick or yeah, killed me
1: exactly you know so there has
0: to be a level of patience and understanding
1: yeah and
0: it's difficult to do when our culture is pushing us to mm. do everything faster yeah right this is blowing my mind
1: yeah if you you know one of the things we teach people on R T T is the psychology of human behavior because we all want to run our mind and run our life. If you want to run your mind, you better understand it. Mm-hmm. And if you understand your mind, there's there's only three things wrong with everybody. One is I'm not enough. One is I want something that's not available. And the other is I'm different, so I can't connect. Whatever you're treating somebody for, if you're a psychiatrist, a doctor, a mental health worker, you only have to treat those three things. And then... Even better is, you know, I was told that the mind is very complex and it takes a lifetime to understand the workings of your mind and a second lifetime to put it into practice. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. that can't be. Nobody would go, hey, Sean, here's a great brain. Oh my God, your brain's amazing. And you know what? When you're 95, you'll crack it. What a shame it's too late to put it into practice. And I thought "That, that can't be true. And in fact, I'm very lucky that I've traveled all over the world working with everyone from CEOs to billionaires to someone who's got a bakery or, or is a school teacher. And our brains all work the same. They're very simple. The mind does what it thinks you want based on what you tell it. If you go, that will kill me, I'll die if I do that. I'd rather die than give a speech. Oh my God, I'm so terrified of standing, opening my mouth. And sounding stupid, your mind goes, don't worry, I'll give you a massive panic attack. You'll never get on that stage when you say, I'll do anything rather than have to have that meeting with my boss next week. Your mind goes, how about a chronic bout of diarrhea? Mm. If you keep saying, oh, God, I don't want to do <laughs> that. I'd do anything not to do that. Or even when you go, I'd love to lie around or with nothing, do," your mind goes, how about the flu? So your mind does what it thinks you want it to do and it bases it exactly on the words you use and the pictures you make, that's the mind. And if you haven't got what you want in life, your mind thinks you don't want that. And if you've got a lot of things that you don't want, like procrastinating and self-sabotage, I can guarantee you've said somewhere, I'm scared of being successful. What if I eclipse my husband and no guys like wealthy women? Or, you know, if I make it, I'll be a terrible parent. Or if I make it, the stress will make me ill. So if you haven't got what you want, your mind thinks you don't want that. And if you've got a lot of things you'd rather not have, your mind goes, no, you need those. They're very useful to you. People can't reject you now. So your mind does what it thinks you want, always. Even if it's completely wrong, the way you feel about everything is only down to two things, the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself, there's nothing else. You know, you could say, oh, I'm going to get in this metal tube and hurtle through the air and that's going to kill me. You could go, oh wow, I've got six hours on a plane, I can watch my favorite movie, I've downloaded my favorite show, I can read a book. Um And we are wired to love what is familiar and avoid what is unfamiliar. That's a fact, but is an even better fact. You can make anything you like familiar or unfamiliar. You know, shoving a lens in your eye is a very mm. unfamiliar thing to do. No one goes, oh, here's a lens, wham it in, I've done it. Yeah. It takes about 10 days and then you can do it even without a mirror. You can make anything familiar. And if you want to make something good familiar, make it praise. Because there is nothing on the planet, nothing that will boost your self-esteem like praise. And there's nothing that will wither it like criticism.
0: Mm. So hearing this and the fact that we run back to what's familiar, like we're yeah. just hardwired to do this. But we can make the unfamiliar familiar. And I'm thinking about, and I know we a lot of people listening, they've either been in this situation or have friends just like, why are you still with that person? Why do you keep running back to the abuse?
1: Yeah. It's because
0: it's familiar.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, I mean, that's such a great question. I work with so many people who go, you know, I could go to a bar. There could be 500 people there. I seem to go home with the one who's abusive and critical. I'm like, well, that's because it's your dad. You know, you're in bed with your dad. You're having sex with your dad. You go, oh, we just clicked, you know. I Suddenly I felt I'd known them my whole life. Well, you did. That was your father withholding father or was very critical mother. And but you know what? You can choose to do something else. So when they go, oh, he was too good for me. She was out of my league. What they're saying is this behavior is unfamiliar. Let me run back to what's familiar. But you can make anything you like familiar. You know, peeing in the toilet wasn't familiar once. Getting a banana in your mouth was not familiar. I mean, I have pictures of my daughter when I first gave her a yogurt. It's in her hair. It's in her (laughs) ear. But now she can eat a yogurt. You can make anything familiar. And one of the things to do is to go, I will make this familiar. So I worked with a girl a little while ago who dated horrible men who hurt her. And her father was super critical, super withholding. And that's the kind of guy she went for. And I said, okay, this is what you do. You say, I am going to make a nice guy familiar. Never add, if it kills me, or if it's the last thing I do, just say, I'm choosing to make a nice guy familiar. It will feel a little odd, but if you keep saying it, it becomes real. It's no different to saying, you know, I drink tea every day with kebby cream and sugar, and I know it's bad, so I'm going to have black tea or herb tea. And the first time I try it, I go, oh, this isn't the same. You go, but I'm making it familiar. I'm making it familiar. I'm choosing to like it this way because when you say to the mind, I'm choosing to say no to candy and yes to fruit, no to doughnuts and yes to fruit, if you say the words, I'm choosing to do this and choosing to feel great about it, your mind goes, oh, you want this? I'm going to make it happen. When you go, oh, this fruit is so boring. It doesn't taste anything like a donut," Your mind goes, go back to what's familiar. So if you want to make something familiar, Add in this sentence, I am choosing to make this familiar and I'm choosing to feel great about it. People even say, you know, I want to go running, but oh, it hurts and my knees hurt. I bought a gym membership, but I don't like it. It's too hard. And if you go, I'm I'm choosing to work out every day. I'm choosing to meditate. I'm choosing to make a Nutribullet instead of a coffee. I'm choosing to eat salad instead of Taco chips, and I'm choosing to love it. Your mind will move you towards it like a laser, really fast. And if you go, oh, it's not the same, is it? I'm eating this rabbit food now. Who likes that? Your mind will move you away from it. Yeah,
0: I could speak from experience on that. Yeah, I literally, I would see even when I met my wife and we were just dating, she would eat salads. I I didn't eat a salad in my mid
1: twenties,
0: and I'm just, I literally would say, why are you eating that rabbit food? Like, Mm. you might as well go outside and grab something off that tree. First Mm. of all, what's wrong with that? You know, the tree, whatever's on the tree is probably healthier than, you know, my pasta or whatever. But, um, you know, it's the language that we use. It just creates an aversion or can draw us closer. Sure. So I want to ask you about the ownership language that we use as well. Yeah. You know, oh, that's yeah. something I would see in my practice mm. uh, in the years I was working as a, as a nutritionist. You know, people come in, they say, you know, my diabetes, yeah. oh, my right. my, mm. my heart disease, my cancer. You know, yeah. they really own whatever mm. these different issues is. My depression, my anxiety, yeah. my social anxiety. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, when you prefix anything with my, you own it. My is an ownership word. And if you put my in front of it, my diabetes, my cancer, my migraine. I need my cookies. I need my Starbucks every morning. If you say that, you own it. And if you call it the, that's a neutral You see, women don't like it and go, here's the wife. Because that's, that's in the wife. Mm. Here's the kids. How about my kids? So if you understand, if you call something my, you own it, you can go, this is my house. This is my book I wrote. This is my kid, aren't they great? You don't call something the if you're not going to possess it, but if don't ever say I've got my headache again, it's the headache. I've got the headache. I don't own it. It doesn't belong to me. I've got the illness. I've got the tension. I've got the my little girl went to visit my mother and came back and went, Mummy, I've got my tension headache. I'm like, no, darling, you're five years old. Five year olds don't get tension. That's a grandma word. We don't do illness. We don't do pills and medication. But my mother was a massive hypochondriac and I had to teach my daughter I've got my my irritable bowel, I've got my this. And one day she said to my mum, Grandma, what are all those pills? She goes, well, that's for my headaches. That's for my leg pain. That's for my stomach. Injury. But Grandma, how do they all know where to go? Which I thought was a great <laughs> question. <laughs> right. but, if you don't want to own something, never call it my my temper. You know, I'm Irish, I've got a my temper. I'm Italian, of course, I, I've got the alcoholic gene. No, you haven't, genes are only 1% of you. It's a very simple thing to do is look at how you speak to yourself because the words you use are the blueprint for what you are. Take out the word my, you can go my ambition, my drive, my passion to be a speaker. I got something to say and I can say it but if you go oh I got my nervous stomach now and you know, when I go on stage my blushing happens and then I open my mouth and my fear makes me go uh, uh and I knew I'd mess that up no so put the word my in front of something you want and put the word the in something you don't want yeah but even the words you put in front of it, you can go I am freaking awesome that's more powerful than awesome I'm amazingly driven, I'm super successful, I'm fantastically motivated. That sends a clear message to your mind. Yeah. So if you want to have a mindset and you want to dialogue with your mind, here's a couple of things to understand. The mind only works in the present tense. You can't go next year, I'll be rich. Next year, I'll have a bikini body. Next year, I'll have a great relationship because your mind doesn't even know what that is. It has to be now. I'm successful now, I'm healthy now, even though it isn't true. It must be in the present tense. It must make a picture. Saying every day in every way, my life is better. I call that a WTF expression. What what does that even mean? Life is a walk through a garden. No, it isn't. Sometimes it's raining and you step in dog mess. So that's Mm -hmm. not true, Mm -hmm. but if you say okay, I'm motivated. I I love what I do. I'm on fire with passion. I love spending the whole weekend working on my website. I'm thrilled to be an RTT therapist. I've got something to share with the world and I'm amazingly super successful. And mine goes, oh, your words are telling me very clearly what you want. Present tense, exciting words. Put exciting words in front of the word. So if you go, I'm not bad me, I have good days and bad days, That's again, that's a WTF. If you go, I am motivated, passionate, I've got a gift, I've got a skill all over and I'm monetizing that gift every day. I'm doing it right now, your mind goes, your words are telling me exactly where you want to go and I'm going to take you there. But if your words are vague, your mind goes, well, I'm stuck here now because... I don't really understand what you want. So people go, I want a wild, passionate. So for instance, I used to live in Notting Hill. It's got lots of rock stars there. My friend lived in a street with this rock star. She used to sing this song, I want, I want that guy. She said, "I, I want him. I want him in my bed. I want that guy. And actually it wasn't that difficult. He got drunk one day, pressed the wrong doorbell, and she got him in her bed and they had a great night. She never saw him again. I'm like, why didn't you go? I want that guy for life. We're gonna our souls are gonna collide, we're gonna bump into each other. He's gonna fall in love with me. I'm gonna fall in love with him. We'll be together forever. You said, I want that guy for a night of passion. And you got it. You're a great manifestor, but Mm. you could have kept the manifestation going. People, I want more money. Well, here's five dollars. No, I don't want that. People said, I want to be pregnant. I go, really? That's all I want. I said, I don't think so. You could be pregnant six times and never have a baby. You say, I want to be pregnant, that's what you get. How about I want to create a perfect, healthy, robust, perfect baby. I want, in fact, I insist on, I require my body to give me a perfect pregnancy to grow a perfect baby who's going to be born full-term, perfectly Your mind, goes, I understand what you want. I thought you just wanted to be pregnant. But now I see you want a perfect, robust, healthy, full-term baby. And you can add in, I can have a fantastic, easy birth too. Because if you tell your mind what you want and you put in the detail, it gives you what you want. Mm. But if you don't, it's like going to a restaurant and going, hey, can you bring me some food? And going, oh, I didn't want that. You get what you ask for. I didn't want that. I don't like that sauce. It's like saying to someone, I'm going away. Could you paint my house? They'll go... I didn't want that. But you didn't tell them what you wanted. Ah, I love Detail. Detailed words. You know, people think this is is affirmations. It's not. It's a detailed, relevant, up-to-date dialoguing with your mind using specific, exciting words. You know, Muhammad Ali said, hey, I said I was the greatest before I even knew I was, but I said it. I'm the greatest and something amazing happened. I became the greatest. Mm. I wasn't when I said it, and then I was. He could have said, I'm not bad me. I have good days and bad days, but where would that have taken him? See, when you see people who really make it, they dialogue with their mind in a very interesting way. People go, oh, well, they're born like that. So what? You can adopt it. You can make it your own. You don't have to be born with it. You just have to think, well, if that's what successful people do, why don't I do it too? then I'll be successful. And that's absolutely true.
0: I'm blown away right now. Oh, thank I'm you. loving this so much. This is so filled with very tangible, applicable, simple things to do. Mm. But I don't think that we realize our power. So I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to feel great about it. And we all know there are certain things in our lives that uh, they're challenging. You know, mm. We're trying to make the unfamiliar familiar. And so these are such great insights. And we've got more insights we're going to get to right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. I was just riding in the car with my family. It was my wife and my two sons, Jordan, who's 19, and my youngest son, Brayden, who is 8. And Jordan was talking about how in his last year of high school, he was getting that coffee hitter. Like I had no idea that from time to time he would pick up a little bit of that crack box, a little Starbucks. And he was just like, because he's not really one of those people that likes coffee necessarily. But he was just like, some days, you know, dad, you like you get up and you're just like, well, not today. But then you have that coffee. And you're like, today, today is the day. And it's so funny because when I was in high school, I never saw anybody drink coffee. But before Jordan got his first car, you know, I drop him off at, at school every day. And I would see the students just walking in, holding their crack box cups. Right. It's just like. It's being bred into our culture at younger and younger ages. But the reality is cultures throughout the world have been uh, enjoying and utilizing coffee for centuries, right? And in childhood. And it's only recently that this mass production, mass quantity, lower quality has become so pervasive, right? And so now not only are you getting the conventional coffee but you're also getting a lot of toxicity along with it the mold the pesticides the herbicides and this is creating an atmosphere where the benefits the potential benefits of coffee are now going down and people are just going to it because it's a source of caffeine or it's a source of sugar right because a lot of people don't even truly enjoy coffee they love the stuff that's in it right the sugar and the cream and those things but for me and what I've been really directing people the last few years because I was just not a fan of coffee, is let's get coffee, but let's upgrade it tremendously by utilizing some of these powerful medicinal mushrooms along with the coffee. And I do that through Four Sigmatic and their incredible mushroom formulas, their mushroom coffee. Now, when people hear about mushroom coffee, medicinal mushrooms, they might come up, well, what kind of mushrooms are those, Sean? I'm not talking about psychedelic mushrooms. I'm not talking about culinary mushrooms. I'm talking about the category of medicinal mushrooms. So these mushrooms have been utilized, again, literally for centuries. And this one in particular has documentation from over 2000 years ago with cordyceps. And now today, what's so beautiful is that we have our clinical evidence to affirm the efficacy that our ancestors knew about many, many centuries ago. And so this was a study and this was published recently in Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise, tested 30 healthy test subjects for six weeks to record the effects of cordyceps on their performance in their sport. And the group that added cordyceps to their daily regimen had twice the oxygen intake of the control group. And this oxygen, again, is essential for supplying nutrients, to your cells for preventing fatigue and buildup of lactic acid. And another study done by the same group showed that there was an overall 9% increase in aerobic activity in aerobic performance from taking and utilizing cordyceps. Now, this is a real whole food, earth grown nutrient sourced ingredient. This isn't a hyperstimulant, which caffeine in of itself can be and what Four Sigmatic was able to do is to reduce the amount of caffeine and add in another natural adaptogen and supporter of your energy that really helps to create this balanced energy. You'll never have those crashes or these strange, crazy coffee jitters that you can get when you utilize Four Sigmatic. All right, so pop over there, check them out, get your hands on some like yesterday. It's foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G- matic.com forward slash model get fifteen percent off the Cordyceps coffee, the Lion's Mane coffee. If you really want to focus on that mental fortitude, because Lion's Mane mushroom, this was from the University of Malaya, found that Lion's Mane is able to actually create new brain cells. That's right, it has neurogenesis capabilities. Right, literally the creation of new brain cells, and it's found to be neuroprotective, and now it's being studied for use for traumatic brain injuries as well. Wow, like. You can't get that from Crackbox, but you can get that from Four Sigmatic. All right, so pop over there, check them out, foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 15% off everything. If you're not a fan of coffee, they've got the mushroom coffees and they're just straight mushroom elixirs as well. So whether it's cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, you can get the real thing. Dual extracted, you're not getting this from other companies. They're doing a hot water extract and an alcohol extract to actually get all the nutrients you're looking for. All right, so pop over there, check them out, com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, we are back and we're talking with Marissa Peer. And before the break, we were diving in on some of the language that we're using and really understanding that our our words create our reality. And we can speak to ourselves in a kind, affirmative manner, or we can speak to ourselves in a way that breaks us down. Mm. And also moving ourselves from the Unfamiliar to the familiar mm. because if we want a better life and that's not our experience right now, mm. it's unfamiliar to us. Sure. And so I'm curious, you mentioned the, a great story about your mom and mm. the pill uh, assortment yeah. and your daughter's experience. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what was the catalyst for you? Like all of these incredible insights that you've shared with people and that you're helping so many with. I'm assuming that you've utilized these things in your own life. And then how did you go from whatever work you did for yourself to wanting to help other people?
1: We see my family, my mother was evacuated in the war in England, you sent children away from the cities into the countryside and they lived with complete strangers. And she learned very ill. And if she got sick, her parents would come to visit, they had no money at all. So being sick was very useful, it met her needs. When you have children with unmet needs, They very often become sick because it's the quickest way of meeting that need. So I grew up with a mother who was always sick and a father who loved his job and was never sick. And I realized very early on that when you have a brilliant brain, which we all have, you you can choose, rationalize why you feel so bad, or talk yourself out. I had one parent who always rationalized, oh, the weather's changing, I'm gonna get sick now. This is all going to go wrong. This will all end in tears. My mother was a master and rationalize everything would go wrong. And my father was a master. I never get sick. My body would never get sick. I love my job too much. Those kids need me. He was never sick a day in his life. My mother was always sick. It was an interesting mm. thing brought up in. And I realized very early on, your words shape your reality. If you don't like your reality, change your language. Rationalize why you feel so bad. Talk yourself out of it. This freeway is killing me. Or, hey, I've got a car. I got money to pay in gas. That's someone else's fantasy dream come true. What would you have given 10 years ago with this problem that you got to commute to a job and you moan and bitch about it? Oh, the freeway is killing me. This job is too much. I'm dying under my paperwork. I'm at my maximum bandwidth. I can't take it. And of course you can. It's someone else's fantasy. And so That was very interesting to me to understand that you can choose how you feel about anything. I mean, after all, if you decided to get a whole sleeve of tattoos, Daniel, would you go going, hey, is this going to hurt me? They go, of course it's going to hurt. It's going to take you a year to get that tattoo done. But some people choose to love pain. How weird is that? I'm choosing to love tattoos. I love a bit of pain. I love endurance training. I love pushing myself to the limit but you see how they choose it, and other people go, I couldn't do that. That would kill me, no. So you've got to understand that you should be your own best friend and talk to yourself better. And so, you know, I wasn't destined to be successful. My brother went to a private school, I didn't. My parents tried to train me to be a nanny because I was told I would never make it. And, but I realized very early on that that's not up to anyone else, that's up to me. And when I was told I could never have a baby, would never get pregnant, couldn't carry baby to full term, I heard a voice in my head going, don't let that in. And much, much later I had cancer and I heard the same thing. Well, you know, I mean, my doctor said, it's got your name and address, it will probably come back. And I thought, what a terrible thing to do to wow. someone, to actually knock on the table and go, well, it knows where you live. It's probably going to come back. I'm like, no, it's not coming back. I'm never having that come back. So we get to choose. And one of the biggest things to choose is don't give your power to someone else. No one can tell you how to feel. You're never going to find love because you're not a supermodel. No one's going to love you because you're not wealthy. You're never going to make it because we haven't, we're not the kind of family where we can send you to college. You know, we hear all these limiting beliefs as kids. Why can't you be like your sister? She's not messy. Look at your cousin. She could read when she was four. We buy into I'm not enough and I'm enough will change your entire life because what lies beneath addictions, hoarding, compulsive shopping, neediness is a belief I'm not enough and I need more. That might be more food, maybe more drugs, maybe more praise, it may be more stuff. But if that stuff could make you feel enough, why do you need more? And if you understand that when you think you're not enough, you will always need more. When you know you're enough, you don't need more, but you think, oh, I deserve a better relationship than this. I deserve a better career than this. I deserve more because I'm worth it. And so if you want to change your life, join the I am enough movement, write it on your mirror. Say it every day. What else are you gonna say when you're cleaning your teeth? I like this minty toothpaste. How about looking in the mirror and going, oh, look, that's in lipstick or eyeliner or a marker pen. I'm enough. Wire it in. Put it on your fridge and fridge magnets. Um, put it on your phone so it alerts you twice a day. Change all your passwords securely, of course, because have you got that? Absolutely, but you'd never work it out because it's got squiggles and dots and capitals and a weird spelling, but I type out every day, I'm enough. I read it every day. One of my clients, amazingly, had it printed on her kids' pillowcases, so they read that every morning and every night, and these kids were being bullied, and it changed everything. It was a game changer for them. So if you can accept that a lot of our unhappiness comes from believing we're not enough, but we're not born with that belief, then you can accept, okay, if I say I'm enough, it will change my life, absolutely. And what is it going to cost you anyway? It's free, it's easy, it's effortless, and it's a game changer. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I love this so much. Um, I've got one other topic I want to ask you about. I've got so many things I want to ask sure. you. But I definitely don't want to move past this one because I feel that for a lot of people, this is something that keeps them in a kind of chronic state of fear, mm-hmm. but they might not realize it. And there's this concept in our culture that, you know, f- for example, once an addict, always an addict. Of course. Right? Or um, for me, just to give an example, I grew up in a in a violent atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know? Like if there was a problem, you get hit. Mm-hmm. Like if you do something bad, you get hit very quickly. Yeah. And so I repeated that behavior like with my little brother and sister. They do something, I sure. lie I hit them. Uh, we take we take that outside. Like when mm. I was four years old, I was my mother pushed me into my first fight, and I've got this huge scar on the back of my head wow. to prove it. And her, but she was trying to teach me to be a strong person, sure. never back down. Mm. These seemingly good lessons through a really crappy mm-hmm. uh, method of teaching, and so throughout the rest of my life, after coming back from that moment of like going to the hospital, getting my head stitched up. Mm. I, I was on the table, you know, they had to put me to sleep, but um, just screaming like, I'll get him. I'll get him, mom. I'll get Alfonso. Mm. And the next day or two, I he was digging a hole and mm. I clocked him with this Tonka trunk and I mm. felt so proud of myself. Yeah, of course. But that elicited a lifetime of problem solving through violence. Mm. And so whenever something would happen, whether it's at, at school, it's just like, oh, well, I'm going to have to kick his ass now, yeah. you know, or the kid across the street. Uh, my brother's out playing, throwing football around and it hits, hits his tire mm. and he says something to him. And I'm just like, if he says something else to my brother, I'm going to have to kick his ass, mm. you know? And I live my life like that. And for a while, I didn't, even if I remove myself from the environment, I still have those mm. thoughts. Like I can't be around sure. people or be around this yeah. without expressing violence. Like once a violent person, always a violent mm. person. But is, so is that real or is that something that we kind of like... Um, once an addict, always an addict, and we just kind of have to remove mm. ourselves from the environment.
1: You see, I don't like that. I know that AA does good work, but that expression, I'm an alcoholic and I always will be, is, is, a, is a blueprint. I'm an alcoholic, I always will be. I can't attract love, and I never will. My dad left when I was two, so therefore I don't amount to anything, and that will always be the way. And we can look at Marilyn Monroe, Princess Diana. We can look at Heath Ledger, we can look at Michael Jackson, we can look at these amazing, Whitney Houston, Amy Winehouse, all had this belief, I'm not really lovable. I got to earn love, chase love, buy love, run after love, because I'm not worthy. And that's not true, but here's a great saying, we play the only part we've ever known. And then we make that part our own. But sometimes you got to go, well, I'm not playing this part anymore. Yeah, You know, I don't have to play the part of the stupid, ugly kid who thought she was a freak and was only going to be a nanny, and thought, well, if I can never have my own kid, maybe that's a good job. I did momentarily look at that and think, I can't have children. It'd be a great job being a nanny, raising other peoples. You know, your parents and mine, no parent wakes up and goes, okay, where's Google? I need to Google how to damage my kid for the rest of their life right now. Let me Google how to mess up my kid. The worst parents in the world don't have those intentions. If they knew better, they would do better. You know, your childhood, if you think of your life as a clock, your childhood is the first 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, you learned violence. I learned that I was stupid and inadequate and hideously ugly. But then we both decided, well, that's the first 10 minutes. i got 50 minutes left. Why would I make the first 10 minutes color my whole life? I have a choice to stop believing what somebody told me. And Someone told them it's like that song, you know, we, we f*** up our kids. We do not mean to, but we do, but they were fucked up in that turn uh, by fools who half the time were happy and half the time on each other's throats. So, your parents are a different generation. My grandparents, they used to say things like, never show people you've got money because they won't like you. They never, you know, draw attention to yourself because the Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. Well, by the way, meek means spiritual people. It doesn't mean passive people who keep everything in. So you got to think, you know, I don't like these beliefs. I'm going to have some new beliefs here. I'm going to give myself a better belief. You are what you believe but here's something that you can make any belief. You're like, I'm gonna be an Olympic athlete. I'm gonna make it. You know, Meryl Streep, when she went to audition for King Kong, they went, Meryl, you're not pretty. You'll never make it as an actress, go home. And she said, well, that's one opinion. In a sea of opinions, I think I'll find a different opinion and thank goodness she did because if you ever saw in my favorite movie out of Africa where Robert Redford is washing her hair, she looks beautiful. But even if she wasn't beautiful, she's a gifted, talented actress or something to share. But it's very easy to hear, you'll never make it, you're not enough, you haven't got the talent, you haven't got the background. And that's another factor that causes depression, not following your heart's desire. So you have to make a decision. Shall I go on believing this belief? Or shall I believe something else? And the most successful people haven't always had a degree or a charmed life, or a wife of, but they have had an ability to go, I, I'm not going to believe this anymore. If I make my beliefs, and then my beliefs turn around and make me, it's my job to make better beliefs. People say, isn't it that simple? Yeah. You know, your thoughts control your feelings. Your feelings control your actions. Your actions control your events. You can't control anything except your thoughts, and when you control them, it changes your entire life, especially if you make them good thoughts, because we all get to choose. I'm going to have a bad day, it's raining, my flight's late, they've lost my luggage, Everything is going to go wrong. i to go, well, you know what? I have great coping skills. I can deal with this. Yeah, I'm stuck in traffic for an hour, but hey, I've got a, something in my a thing I've always wanted to listen to. I've got some food in my glove box and I've got a great web download. I can listen to Sean for an hour in this traffic. You see how the choosing is the key. You can always choose, this is terrible, everything is gonna, you go, hey, this is, I can still feel great about this. Yeah,
0: this is so powerful. And I want people to choose to connect with you online, pick up your book. You just gave me a few Mm. autographed copies of the book. I'm so grateful for you. Um, Can you let everybody know where they can find your book and where they can find you online?
1: So I'mEnough.com is not just a book. It's a whole program. We have an audio program. You can try it for free. The book is like $10 and it comes with three downloads that we would sell for $40 each. So it's great value. So go to I'mEnough.com. If you want some free products, we've got wealth blocks, love blocks, health blocks, success blocks. Go to MarissaPeer.com. And you can take a lot of free products. And if you want to find someone trained in rapid transformational therapy, even if you want to become a therapist and do what I do, which is, by the way, the best job in the whole world, because you change people's lives and your own in the in the, in the the meaning, go to rapidtransformationtherapy.com and you can do what I do. No background in therapy is required. And we're, we're really changing the world. Everybody wants to change the world, but we're changing, but we have... RTT in rehab facilities, in in prisons, in juvenile detention, in school systems. It's everywhere, and it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, thank you for making that available for us. And this is a big thing, a big part of my community, and why I do the show is to teach other teachers. Yeah, of course. Because that's how we really create a movement. So thank you for being so generous, and um, just thank you for... Putting in the time and the energy and the effort and applying these things in your mm. own life. And um, Vision is the person that's coming to mind is who it? just yeah. was raving about you over and over again. And his show was one of the most popular episodes we ever had. So, guys, we'll put that in the show notes. That episode you love so much with mm. that man, a big part mm. of his success is through working with you. So
1: well, when I met Vision, he he was very uncomfortable speaking on stage, very uncomfortable asking for money and very uncomfortable drawing attention to himself. And this is not a secret, because he's written about it in his book, The Hypnotist in the Hotel Room. And I said, Vishen, you can change all of this like that. We went back to some interesting scenes. One is this belief that if he got money, other people couldn't have money. And that's a very interesting belief. If I have more, someone has less. And so he couldn't ask for money. A belief that good people, because the teacher at his school, the nice ones had nothing. Good people shouldn't have anything. And then this belief, when the teacher humiliated him, is that if you draw attention to stuff, it's a bad thing. So we we found three imprints, we erased and eradicated those immediately. Then we wired in, installed in a new belief: you have a gift, and you're meant to share. Imagine if Frank Sinatra never sang, Barbara Streisand became a nail technician. If you're given a gift, you have a duty to share that with other people to show them what human potential can be, just like you and I. That's our gift, but there's an obligation to pass that on to other people so they too can shine and be amazing. And I love the fact that one session with Vision changed everything, and now I have two RTT therapists who work full-time in his office, working with all his staff, making them shine. You know what's so great? It's really easy. It's not complicated, it's not long, it's easy.
0: Thank you. Thank you for making it so easy. This has been so amazing. And there's one other thing that I wanted to ask you about that we had mentioned on our break, because I, we started singing a song, solid as a yeah, rock. Right? Yeah. And you were like, ah, music and song yeah. can actually help as part of mm. a really successful and valuable therapy. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, there's a song called, You Can Sing Your Own Song. And with many of my clients, I make them sing their own song. They have like a song, I'll never do it. I'll never get over you. I'll die if you leave me. I can't live without it. I'm like, why are you singing that song to yourself? Of course you will. How about singing a better song? Um, so when I'm going on stage, I sing a song, This Girl Is On Fire, and if I was a guy, I'd sing This Guy Is On Fire. Mm. When I'm working with the clients, we sing the song from Frozen, Let It Go, Let It Go, because who needs to hold on to low self-esteem anyway? I'm having the time of my life. Don't stop me now. I'm having a good time. I'm having a ball. It's a new day. It's a new dawn, and I'm feeling good. So what song do you sing? Do you sing, oh... Um, I can't live if living is out there. Or do you sing, hey, um, it's like, what was that great song? Every woman everyone gets up to dance to this song. Is it um, Gloria Gaynor, I will survive. I so, will sorry, survive. I'll do so what do you sing? Do you sing, I can't live if living is out there. Or do you sing, I will survive. I'm finding someone who's loving me. Do you sing, um, I'm all alone, I'm nobody's child. Or do you sing... Hey, Beyonce also has a song called Survivor. Do you sing Let It Go? Here I am, come and take me. You can choose, sing your own song. Change the lyrics, it doesn't matter what they are. You know, my little girl used to watch Cinderella and there's a song when they're singing, the mice are singing, you can do it, you can do it, you can really, really do it. And I've always sung that song when I'm going to meetings, when I'm going on stage, I sing that song, you can do it. You can do it, you can really, really do it because there's a message to my brain. I can do it or I could sing, oh, I'm never going to do it. I, I just can't do it. It's too hard, too difficult, too unfamiliar. Sing a better song. Singing a better song would change your life. We often, I have my clients sing that Johnny Mathis song. I can see clearly now the pain is gone. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. You can sing whatever you want, but sing better lyrics. Make a little theme song, sing it a lot. I'm having the time of my life. I love my life. I wake up every day and say, hey, it's a great day. I love my day. I'm in love with my day. And my mind believes me because why wouldn't it? I could go, oh, my God, I've got such a stressy day. This is going to be a nightmare. You always get to choose. If you choose to sing a different song, you are choosing to live a different life. And it really is that simple, solid as a rock. Is it great? So many great songs.
0: Yeah. So cool because, you know, songs get stuck in our head. Yeah. And I love that tip so much. You've Mm. given so much value here today. And really, I'm just so grateful. This is one of my favorite shows so far. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled.
0: Awesome. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I truly am. I'm smiling so big right now. And this is a big affirmation for me in some of the things that I've been doing in the past, but we need more people who are thinking and teaching and talking this way. And it all really begins with us though. You know, It's applying some of these principles to our own lives and beginning to speak to ourselves in a kind manner, in an affirmative manner. And as we talked about today, uh, awareness starts the process. So we do wanna become aware. And we've talked about this many times in the show of the conversations going on in our mind, but that's not enough. You know That's often not enough, and it's um, inserting and applying some of these things that we've talked about, and of course, going a little bit further. So make sure to pick up her book, I Am Enough, and check out all of her stuff online. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And just to pivot back a little bit in my story, that was me, and we talked about this on the show many times, but the importance of changing your environment, absolutely. It's a powerful game changer in and of itself, but sometimes you can take the old with you to the new place right? You could take the old you to the new party. And for that, for me, I removed myself from the kind of consistent influx of violent behavior, violent activity, but I still had that thread. I still had that go-to in my arsenal, you know? So if I would go out somewhere, if I go to the store or whatever, I'm just looking at things through a lens of problems. And eventually I had to realize, and that's what she talked about, that this isn't serving me. And I have to change the conversation going on in my mind. And so for me, it was, I jumped to the other extreme and I had to really work on living again. Once I started to think like, everybody's a part of me, you know, everybody's beautiful, everybody, you know, we're all here together. And if I hurt somebody, I'm hurting myself. And I started to take on these thoughts and these principles. And I was really living my life from a place of service. And how can I defuse situations? How can I perspective take, right? It becomes very difficult for myself and I'm trying to heal myself to outwardly hurt myself by hurting someone else. And so, you know, again, it started with me taking control and being aware of my thoughts, but changing the way that I was talking to myself about other people. And so, wow, uh, again, so much here. And one of the great things, and I'm just gonna say this again, I'm choosing to do this I'm choosing to feel great about it. I'm choosing to do this, even today. I said I I, I have to, right? And it's just a little because I'm about to hit this traffic. There's a little bit of hesitation, little feeling of ungoodness. Instead, changing the the, the conversation of my mind to I'm choosing to do this, and I'm choosing to feel great about it. it. Gave me opportunity to listen to her in the car. You know, one of her epic. Uh, talks that she, she's done. And again, make sure to check her out. Iamenough.com is the website. And guys, I've got some powerful stuff coming your way very, very soon. Make sure to share this episode out with all your friends and family. You could tag me. And Marissa, are you on Instagram?
1: Yeah, I'm on it. Marissa Peer Therapy and I'm Enough are both my Instagram handles.
0: Tag her as well. Let everybody know what you thought about this episode. I love you guys. And I want you to take this statement with you again into this day. I'm choosing to do this and I'm choosing to feel great about it. And this was the big one for me today. I require it. I require it, all right? And I require you to tune into the next episode coming very, very soon. Have a great day and I'll talk with you soon.